Welcome back to the 77th episode of the Outback Cast, and this is my favorite time of year because it's dumpuary. It's where all the horrible shit just rains down on us, and then me and Myros basically have to bully Sean and everybody else into doing a podcast and making them pay money to see horrible things. So, I mean, what's better than upsetting Sean Glynnis? And Sean Glynnis, how are you doing today? I, I mean, as good as you can in a post-movie pass. Uh, era. Yeah, it's tough, man. Times are tough. Dumpuary is what they were made for. It, it really was. It, it pained me to pay money for some of these things this year. But I actually, you know what? I actually, um, I remembered that I had a Fandango gift card. Um, what? and uh, that, that like uh, a coworker gave to me a while back. Ooh, and it just sat in my wallet. And so I was. I, I think I saw everything I saw. It cost me like three dollars total. So oh, you fuck know, yeah, I, I could be worse. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, it's better than Movie Pass that you pay ten dollars a month for, and then now it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, Myros, you're joining us today. How are you feeling about Dumpuary so far? Uh not feeling. I'm in a bit of a budget crunch as a, a full time student. Uh, oh my god! So what? You only I, saw I you only saw Alita Battle Angel three times then. You fucking yeah, loser. Yeah. No, I I did spend an inordinate amount of money on glass because uh, I had. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had planned out a little break in my schedule where it made sense in a very matinee friendly slot and it turned out unbeknownst to me to be a an extreme showing so i i paid like, like IMAX max prices for fucking a movie that is just still like three people sitting in a room talking <laughs> you, get, you got the full glass experience man just bruce willis all up in your shit uh, i did it with yeah. andre imax <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good one. Uh, Jake, you're with us today, too. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Steve. Just enjoying some nice SoCal weather in this uh, this late winter month season we're having. Cool. Did, you, did you leave your dogs out in the dangerous dust storm so that they won't bark? I did, yes. I didn't Ever again. ruin the audio fidelity of this, uh, of this episode. So, yeah, That's they're good. all outside suffering in the wind. Oh, this one you Excellent. didn't want to ruin. <laughs> The rest, on the other about. hand. <laughs> Listen, when we talk about the Liam Neeson movie where he kills Native Americans, um, we, we need absolute room silence. That's important. Uh, yeah. But hey, be- before we get into that shit, I-, I think we need to talk about my personal favorite dumpuary dumping ground, if you will. Uh, although, kind of a weak offering this year. Or you could maybe argue that this is a place where Dumpuary is a year-round event, you know? It's like when you go to that shitty Christmas store in, in Michigan, what's that place called? In Frankenmuth? Bronner's. Bronner's, yeah. You, Jake, you know what Bronner's is? Bronner? I don't even know her. Yeah, well, Jake, let me tell you, it's a place where if you're a fucking baby boomer who hates yourself and you got like three days vacation, you go to this place in the middle of Michigan called Frankenmuth and it's just full of these like little Dutch ass white people that make you fried chicken. And then you go to this place called Bronner's, and it's just like a Target. But if Target only sold Christmas stuff like twenty four seven three sixty five, yeah. Also, it's like yeah, Jesus everywhere. So it's just Jesus and Santa and fried chicken and weird ass Dutch people. 
And Lederhosen. There's lots of Lederhosen. I think oh, it's yeah. more German than Dutch. Is it more German than Dutch? I don't know. It's fucking white people shit. It's weird. Don't ever yeah. go there. Dutch is West Michigan. This is oh, strictly yeah. Central Michigan, German yeah. country. My mistake. My mistake. It's Anyways, bad. It's a bad place. The point is, fuck that place. But yeah, Netflix. What's what's Netflix dumping on us this year, boys? Well, you know, they put out a couple th- last year, if you remember, if listeners remember, uh, around this time we talked about Bright. Oh um, yeah, which was Netflix's first big thing of the year. Um, and that was, that seemed appropriate for Dumpy Weary offering. And this year they put out a couple, like their biggest things were, um, were Velvet Buzzsaw by Dan Gilroy and High Flying Bird by Steven Soderbergh, um, as far as films go. And, uh, I, I only watched High Flying Bird. Um, I didn't watch Velvet Buzzsaw because that seems awful. Uh, uh, Sean, you're forgetting uh, perhaps the king of Dumpuary last year, which was uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, True, Dumb man. City, baby. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> so last year they surprise. Last year they really went for for capitalizing on the Dumpuary essence. This year it seems like for you know whether they were successful or not, seems like um, they're really going for this. Sort of auteur bent. I mean, Dan Gilroy isn't exactly Steven Spielberg, but, uh, you know, with a Steven Soderbergh movie, which I think is pretty fitting for, uh, to, to throw Soderbergh in there, um, because he's just somebody who makes unassuming films and, and Dumpuary is made for unassuming movies. Now, yeah, that's fair. Although, you know, I just, it doesn't feel like Dumpuary to me. Because the symbol of Dumpuary, like the spirit of Dumpuary, Max Landis, isn't doing anything. <laughs> what do we, See, I mean, what has he been doing for the last year? Like, he got, uh, to the, the shock of literally no one, he got accused of being a gross, horrible human being. Um, and so that combined with his complete lack of talent, what has he been doing for the last year? Like, did he just use his millions of unearned money to, like, remove ribs and suck his own dick for 365 days? What the fuck is he doing? Uh, I don't know. If you were Max Landis, would you do anything? I probably wouldn't. I, mean, I would. <laughs> I would remove my lower ribs and I would suck my own dick. That's all I would do. <laughs> I just think about that Twilight Zone movie. Just think on what your father did, Max. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe meditate on that for a while, buddy. <laughs> is, he, I had, uh, is he working on something? Like he's he's posed to yeah. have like a comeback. Yeah, yeah, he, he I, wrote like a feminist buddy cop movie or something, and that's, that's like, right. and he called it like his Me Too apology movie. <laughs> It's like, I don't think that's how it works, buddy. That's that's not no. how it goes. Why are we talking about Max Landis when we could be talking about Velvet Buzzsaw, one because, of the worst I mean, movies <laughs> I've seen in a long fucking time? So did anybody else see, did anybody else see um, uh, Roman J.S., Roman J. Israel Esquire? Yeah, no. I saw it. I, I watched it for the Oscar not. pod last year. Yeah, it's a curio. Yeah. It, it, he's definitely uh, out of downward trajectory. We'll say that. <laughs> so uh, what's what's the deal with this velvet buzzsaw? It just looks like that's uh, the square. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I was just yeah. about to say it well, looks like yeah. the square, it's, but more of like a slasher movie. What what is it exactly? So it's this, it's basically it's a Robert Altman esque in that there's a series of characters, all of the player that we'll follow through this. So um, is this a, is this sorry is this um could this have aired on USA? Sure. 
where characters are welcome? Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, so, <laughs> we follow a variety of characters through the um, the prestige art underground scene, and uh, one of them is Jake Gyllenhaal, this uh, goofy art critic named Morph. Um, and this artist has recently passed away, and his apartment has discovered to have all these treasured paintings, so they display the paintings in the art gallery, and the paintings come to life and start killing people who look at them. Um, it's uh, you mentioned the square. The square it does like everything about uh, it being an a- attack on art, the like the pretentiousness of the art world. It's both a failure of that, and it's also a failure as just a straight up horror movie. There's nothing in it that works. It's one of the worst films I've also seen in a long time. Is, it, is yeah. this like a like a Vigo the Carpathian situation where the the painting comes to life? What what's Th- that is handled so much better than this this film. It's it's just straight up. It's just straight up garbage. Everyone is an irritating asshole, and they're over. Everyone is overacting. It's shot by Robert Elswit, who shot the Master in sixty five millimeter, and makes this looks like one of the most ugly looking straight to DVD. Esque films ever, especially since it's about an art gallery. You think there'd be some sort of inherent beauty there, but it's really, it's really just bar- bargain bin garbage from beginning to end. Nothing, nothing in it works or clicks. Yeah, since there's no real failure. logic with how the the paintings behave or anything. I guess they sort of vigo a bit, but uh, it, it's just like stuff that has nothing to do with the paintings or the artist ends up killing people. Uh, one person gets sucked into a graffiti in like the stupidest way possible. It it's just a really shitty movie. Like I I hesitate to even <clears throat> cite it in the same sentence as the square. It's just like uh, the square should not be sullied by being associated with such. A movie <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so so is it like nocturnal? I, I I've heard nocturnal animals thrown in with it. Is it like that? Has anybody seen that? Uh that's really shitty. But this is much worse than that. Yeah, hmm. agreed. Wow. So would you say like it's it's less Vigo the Carpathian and more Vigo Mortensen folding a pizza in half and eating it? Is that <laughs> uh give me Green Book, frankly. I watch Whoa. Green Book any day over a, this fucking a, a thing. You still statement. haven't watched Green Book, have you, my, my Yeah, ass? yeah, no, I watched it for the the pod. Oh yeah, we uh, talked about it. That's right, that's right. You no. you talked about It's a forgettable movie, that. but it's also easy to forget that other people have seen it too. Other than yeah, like your- it's- <laughs> Uh, Green Book is, I mean, like the least remarkable movie possible, yeah. but it's also just like it kind of you could put it on mm-hmm. and go about your business, right. and it's it's not yeah. offensive in any way. This, not this, <laughs> uh, this is just it's bad. It, it's real bad. <laughs> yeah, Green Book's the perfect movie for your like seventh grade history teacher who's like vaguely liberal, but also thinks like John McCain was a pretty nice guy. Like that's her favorite movie. <laughs> Velvet Bust also has the return of uh, John Malkovich, who we last saw in Bird Box, so he's quickly becoming the patron saint <laughs> of uh, straight-to-Netflix movies. Hmm. Well, they must have had him for about uh, five hours of filming, I think. Yeah. He's, he's not really in this movie. He's just kind of shows up and is John Malkovich. Yeah, it's a waste. So the other, Everyone is terrible. The other one, uh, the other Netflix film uh, that we mentioned, High Flying Bird uh, by Soderbergh, I I thought was uh quite good. Um and I think it'll probably take a while for me to see a better 2019 film. It's probably, it's definitely the fillet of of the films I saw. A prestige dump if you will. <laughs> um well, like I said, he makes these unassuming movies unless it's like traffic. Um 
but uh which it's not but i i i think um you know it's about the nba uh or you know some sort of uh fictional league that resembles the nba and uh it's about this relationship between an agent and a player um and you know you shot it on iphone but uh it, it has this very sorkin like feel to it out of like fast talking like i watched it with subtitles but andre holland from andre holland from uh moonlight is in it and he gives quite a good performance sazzy beats from atlanta also good um what's his name the dude from that schwarzenegger movie what? Uh, <laughs> uh, Danny DeVito, twins. Bill Duke is that his name? Yes, oh, yeah. Bill Duke. Yeah, Bill Duke. Bill Duke is in it. Um, it's got a great cast. I mean, there's like a couple others that I haven't even mentioned that are good, but um, it, it has like sort of this smart film, like you know, like like Sorkin film or like Sorkin's projects feel, you know, very much like a thinking man's thing. But um, but at the same time, it's kind of breezy in a way that like I could. I, I imagine I'll probably rewatch this through, um, at least once uh, throughout the year. But, uh, and it has interesting things to say about uh, the political uh, hierarchy of the NBA um, and where players fit um, and where they have been situated. But I don't know. What did you guys think? Uh, I think I'm probably the only other one who saw this, but uh, I might be wrong. But I I thought it was good i mean i could see it is right where it belongs i suppose it's not a movie with great mass appeal and it is definitely a very small movie that doesn't demand exhibition yeah. so i i think this is kind of an ideal fit for streaming services and <laughs> yeah it is it's it maybe a little self-important at times uh but i yeah, it keeps doing this my thing time it. it keeps do it keeps making a reference to like, it's obviously as much about streaming services as it is about the, the NBA league. Um, and I think that that is overstated in it. Um, like I, I kind of wish that he would have pulled it back a little bit. Um, I believe it's the same screenwriter as moonlight. And, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that it just gets a little bit, like you said, self-important uh, towards the end, or it, or it just becomes a bit overwrought, where it's just kind of like, let's, yeah, like I said, pull it back, like, just keep the parallels there, like, we know it, we're watching, we're watching it on Netflix, we we get it, um, but... Yeah, the MacGuffin stood out to me a bit, where he's got this package he's given the, the player yeah. he's representing, and at the end it's... it's- uh, I don't know what the book is called, but it's a, it's obviously a, a civil rights era thing about black athletes and green book. Uh, yes, it's green book. He gives him the green book. It's like, <laughs> you can stay in these hotels while you're on strike. Um, <laughs> this will be safe for you. No, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a movie that I probably did not like as much as you, but it's, you know, as someone who does enjoy the NBA and it's got, some satisfying inside baseball sort of feel to it. Yeah. yeah good, good to see yeah, a lot of these actors show up. You also got Kyle McLaughlin. He shows up too. That's Ooh. yeah. There's a lot of, um, sort of big, uh, cult names like that, um, that show up, but yeah, it does have some inside baseball stuff. And there are, I think three or four professional NBA athletes, um, that talk that have like these talking headshots. 
Um, and uh, I think those are really interesting. And but I, I think some of why I really grabbed onto some of the things that some of them say um, is because I kind of know exactly like when they're talking about other players and, and sort of the privileges that players have being big names, um, privileges that are uh, internal, uh, like about your own security. Um, I, I, just having sort of the, just knowing these reference points um, as somebody who watches the, the league all the time, but doesn't necessarily think of it as anything other than an exhibition, you know, um, like doesn't always think about the, uh, the people's, Sorry, I don't know what that was. <laughs> the, who, as somebody who watches the sport, uh, and you can apply this to, across other sports, but you don't always think of like the the dynamics that are going on, or the personal lives that are affecting how people are playing, or how these business deals are affecting people's um, lives, or just like things that it kind of taps into that that are nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always game for more Steven Soderbergh, and I'm always game for more films that kind of highlight the realities of labor issues. So, uh, right, right. How's the uh, iPhone aesthetic? I think it, it looks good. Yeah, much better than Velvet Buzzsaw, which I, like, I was not shot on a fucking yeah. iPhone. I, I, I wasn't on the Unsane train, and um, <laughs> I thought that that looked really shitty, especially the way he was not able to light Jay Farrow. Um, and it's funny, uh, there's the, the only person who isn't lit well in this is Zachary Quinto, and that, uh, that seemed to be a bit um, self-imposed uh, by Soderbergh. But uh, or should I say Philip Andrews? Um, but the lighting looks just like a lot better here, and yeah, it just fits it. I do mm. enjoy how the the talking heads are all like uh, major high draft picks or yeah. uh, NBA stars, except for uh, the Pistons fringe point Reggie guard Jackson. Reggie Jackson, who is hell yeah, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sold, and that's Sign that's me kind up. of the thing. That, that, and that kind of plays into what I was saying is like, if you know the role that Reggie Jackson plays, what he says has like a certain meaning to it. Like, I mean, you can get there without knowing it, but it's just like, you know, it, it, it's, it's enjoyable for me. That's cool. But I, I, yeah, as somebody who didn't like Unsane, this is really nice. I didn't see Logan Lucky, but um, I, it kind of reinvigorated Soderbergh for me a little bit because I, you know, I used to love Soderbergh like a decade ago and I kind of fell off and, um, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I'm going to go through all of his films, but I'm definitely, like, more willing to, like, grab the Limey back off the shelf or grab Solaris and revisit those and check out Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I kind of love Steven Soderbergh just because I don't want to pick all his movies off the shelf. He just kind of mm-hmm. does whatever the hell he wants to do. He doesn't have a a firm aesthetic that he's married to, and he just, you know, he he enjoys his career and he makes what he wants to make and he usually does it very well. And I, I have a great fondness for Steven Soderbergh. Uh, he's like a, he's yeah. He's like a studio era, like breed, but somebody who willfully like works in and out of the studio as it exists now, which is much different, but you know, he, he's, he's like a journeyman, um, but in a weird era of filmmaking uh, production. Yeah. Well, boys, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that Netflix gave us something to watch, but it wouldn't be an Optimism Vaccine Dumpuary podcast if we weren't actually going to the movies. So I guess I'm, I'm going to have to play our movie song right here. Let me take it to the movie, shorty. I'm sure later on you will be my baby. Let's go to the movie, 
Oh my god, it's so good. Sean, do you ever get tired of that song? Uh no, I could I could listen to it again right now. Yeah, okay, As here we go. Fact. Let me let me right here. Oh beautiful. God. That really fucking slaps. How hard does that slap, Myros? Oh, it's it's so great. I wonder why we only use it uh, every, like, six episodes when you remember to use it. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of true, but uh, not entirely true. It's just, you know, you, you can't play the hit over and over again. It'll saturate your audience. You got you to gotta leave them wanting more. That's what we yeah, do here. That's, that's a standard theme song practice. Only one every six or so episodes. They throw it out at the beginning. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, then, and then the Optimism Vaccine Faithful, they cry out, where is our song? That song is so good. And I say, here it is, children. Let me give you a little taste. All right. Well, anyways, guys, there's, there was a movie that came out. I think it came out last month, January, and it sort of flew under the radar. And this is one where you're like, okay. This this has got to be particularly bad because when you look at the cast, you're like, this had to cost some money to make because there's some real people in this. Um, <laughs> and holy shit, it does not disappoint. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's finest film, <laughs> Anne Hathaway's <laughs> finest film, uh, dare I say the greatest film? It is it is transcendent in a way like this is the first thing I, I've been trying to log for the past like two years. I've been trying to log everything I watch on Letterboxd. And when I log it, I give it a star rating and then I write a few things about it. I couldn't give a star rating to this movie. It's the first time this has happened since I started on Letterboxd <laughs> because it is so transcendent as a film. There is nothing like this. And yeah. I am talking about, of course, Serenity. And no, you fucking nerds, not that stupid fucking Firefly bullshit. I'm talking about the real Serenity, the one that matters. Holy Stephen Wright's Serenity. Can someone... Uh, I, I had somebody ask me about this movie because they were like, oh, I think I'm going to go see this. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, you have to. And they're like, well, what's it about? <laughs> you can't... You can't answer the question, what's it about? Unless you spoil it. Well, and even if you spoil it, like, try to talk through the plot of Serenity and see if it makes a lick of fucking sense. It's it's a, you sound like a crazy person. There's it's yeah. nuts. What the fuck yeah, is what is it? Somebody explain it to me. It, it, the uh the the thing that pops into my mind is like uh if somebody saw Truman show and Ed TV back to back like 12 years after they were made and they were like let's mash these together. Yeah. It's uh, uh yeah, a little, little Truman Show, little Ed TV, a uh, little Ready Player One. <laughs> I don't even know, like some Matrix shit. It's just it's, yeah, it's everything. Yeah. It's very Inception esque, especially that one of the last shots of the movie. Yeah, it's like the it's like trying to to mash those movies together in like Chris Nolan era filmmaking. I think it's like the it's this it's like a cinematic interpretation of that meme of Elon Musk on like Joe Rogan's podcast, like smoking a blunt. <laughs> it's that, but a movie. Yeah. So the plot is that Matthew McConaughey tries to catch a fish called and Justice. <laughs> a fish called Justice. Yes, this is true. That's what it should have been called. Yeah, a fish called Justice. <laughs> 
so there's a, a large tuna that keeps eluding him, and uh, then his ex-wife shows up. Well, maybe fiance, whatever. Who the fuck cares? Uh, and his, his baby propositions, mama. and propositions him to kill her current husband, who is uh, Jason Clark, giving a performance for the ages, where it's just like, "You bitch, I'm gonna fight you in the streets." Well, I mean, in true Serenity fra- fashion, we just lost one of our players. Um, Adam Iris is no longer with us, but uh, as he was saying, Matthew McConaughey is a fisherman. He's propositioned by an ex-lover of his, played by Anne Hathaway, to kill her abusive husband, played by Jason Clark. Now, if you stop the film right there and take just those elements, you could have the potential for what could be a solid neo-noir mystery thriller. Uh, you know, maybe a throwback to the good old days of uh, Humphrey Bogart or something like that. But then the film starts piling on more and more ridiculous elements that turn into something completely nonsensical. Because, uh, well, first of all, there's like these, these weird shifts with the camera work. Uh, like they're very herky jerky, like you could say from a video game. And, uh, McConaughey is revealed to be having some sort of, uh, connection to his son who is communicating with him via computer screen. <laughs> Sorry, a loud truck went by on somebody's end and that, uh, that caught me off guard. Um, then there's this guy in a suit that's running around town trying to get McConaughey's attention. And when he finally catches him, he lays out everything and says, I am the rules. And uh, I don't know if we should spoil the whole movie for anyone. Because I kind of want people to see how crazy Serenity really gets. Um, but uh, yeah, I, we don't need to spoil it. It's yeah, it's just uh, it's 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 insane how Stephen. I, I, I don't have his IMDb up, but Stephen Knight, I think, is in a an accomplished, if not Academy Award-nominated uh, screenwriter, and this is just an utterly nonsensical screenplay and film that he's directed. Yeah, it's... I, I, I can't even... like, and, and there's so many weird things, too, that, like... D- the twist is dumb, but even if this movie didn't have its twist, it's fucking weird enough where it's, it can exist on its own as, like, a bizarro movie. For me, this is, it's more or less a Neil Breen script, but directed by someone who isn't Neil Breen and starring real actors and actresses, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's just off. Everything is off. And Anne Hathaway's character, she's constantly calling McConaughey daddy. And it's just yeah. really weird. It feels like, yeah. I, it feels like, like weird Twitter sex jokes or something. Constantly. She's just like, kill her for me, daddy, daddy. Daddy, like that's the whole fucking movie. Um, yeah, it's weird because it seems like Stephen Knight is primarily a screenwriter. Um, he was going to do the World War Z two script. Uh, he did Girl in the Spider's Web. Uh, Allied. He directed the Lock movie Lock. with Tom Hardy. He, yeah, and he wrote that. He also wrote Eastern Promises, Dirty Pretty Things. So. I mean, he he's written a lot of stuff, so it seems like that's his gig. But um, mm-hmm. this seems like it was something he wrote, like, in 2003. And I think Myros, if he were here, would agree with me. You know, it's one of the... Uh, he, I think he referenced uh, uh, Secret Windows, where, like, the twist is, oh, like, yeah. this, this, like, um, 
it changes the it entire dynamic. the reality of the film. Yes, yeah, and it's just kind of like, like it's so out of fashion for a good reason because we've moved past that sort of like sensational change, um, and it doesn't really do anything. But uh, it's just, yeah, like you said, Steve, it, it's very weird, uh, especially when we get to like, "Give me the rod, daddy." <laughs> There's also such uh, a good line. <laughs> McConaughey's also, I guess, ostensibly he's like a he's like a tour guide fisherman. It's his day job. He takes yeah. fat tourists out to sea to uh, show them the show them how fishing's done, and he can't really he doesn't really make a successful living off that. So he he pimps himself out to Diane Lane. Um, she pays him for sex yeah. and he describes himself since he's a fisherman who can't catch anything and he's selling him out for sex. He, he describes himself as a hooker who can't get hooks. That's my favorite it's, line in the whole movie. And <laughs> the sex scenes are awful. And, uh, I mean the way that they're, they're shot or, or like they're off, but, um, and also like Diane Lane, casting Diane Lane under using her and using her as somebody who's paying for sex is, a bridge too far for my, my for myself. <laughs> Diane Lane's character is such a throwaway in this. It's just it's incredible oh, yeah. to me. It's <laughs> this nothing about this movie makes sense. But but really, it is it's a whole other category of of kind of like weird dumpuary, you know, good bad whatever you want to call it type of movies where it's so entertaining, but also it has these like prestige like mainstream Hollywood ambitions. And it's so misguided. I mean, Book Book of Henry is one that comes to mind that's in the same category as this, where it's just a train wreck, and it's so fun to watch. What we didn't Jack come up with a name for these films, like what what he was calling them? Oh, it was uh, Stumblecore. <laughs> Stumblecore. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> it's like every year you need you need just some kind of movie that is just so utterly indescribable and so batshit insane that you legitimately wonder watching the final product how the hell did this clear every aspect of production something like the book of henry uh or snowman the snowman yeah just something that's just an utter failure that should have been shelved forever gets a wide release Um, and and nobody said "Mm, maybe we shouldn't do this i i don't know yeah nobody yeah exactly nobody had the 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 balls to say no to this project they just said yeah you know you have enough cloud as a screenwriter we'll we'll give you whatever you need mcconaughey sure he's Mm -hmm. yours take it i I remember seeing trailers for this last fall yeah it's it's it got yeah it got shelved or pushed and it was supposed to come out like last fall or if not last summer and it's yeah i feel like i've been seeing that that clicking (laughs) that clicking uh fishing rod trailer for over a year now yeah style uh, and, and it's it's interesting too because these are v- very different from like the big budget failures that are like notorious like something like island of dr moreau or something like that where it, they basically they sunk so much money into it they had to finish it even though it was shit and, and this is this is something different because it is a mainstream bigger budget film but it's not like a 100 200 million dollar epic it's just like what the what the fuck like <laughs> right. these weird mid-budget movies that should never have been made under any circumstances but yeah here, here we are here we are oh man but uh yeah so serenity is one that i would recommend if it's if it's still in theaters around you you know the your local budget theater go see it if it's not i'm sure it'll be on demand or you know streaming somewhere soon watch it, it hits that it hits yeah it hits that stumblecore uh itch 
Oh, that's what you're hundred percent, hundred percent. It is a marvel. It's it's the perfect four beer film for sure. But hey, you know, in addition to Serenity, Serenity is great. But WRA always gives us some some horror films to sink our teeth into, which everybody in the, in the in our you know podcast world here really enjoys. Uh, obviously, we've been given gifts like The Bye Bye Man in recent <laughs> years, which still has a special place in my heart for being one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever seen. This this year we got a a double feature of Escape Room and Prodigy, the two the two big ones. Now Escape Room, I remember there being more press kind of like leading up to it and more hype around it. Prodigy sort of snuck in there. Sean, yeah. you, you caught both of these, didn't you? Yeah, I'm dedicated to this podcast. And dedicated to the pod, baby. Um, yes, I caught both in cinemas. Um, and uh, I will talk about Escape Room. I don't know if we're going to get Myros back, but uh, it would be ironic if if the budget boy would uh, miss talking about one of the films he paid for. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the, the budget boy didn't pay his internet bill, so he got kicked off of Skype. Well, we better hurry up before the Escape Room kills the next one of us. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So, Escape Room uh, is one that I was kind of more looking forward <laughs> to, um, and uh, it, that's like perfect. Don't be wary, breed. Um, I, I unfortunately didn't enjoy it as much as I liked. I had heard sort of semi-positive things, like "oh, it's not that bad." Um, it's 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 just it's it hits that level of like not good <coughs> and not very fun and just sort of passing and it doesn't have any stars like the biggest name is jay ellis who is um a side character um on insecure hbo's insecure he's good on that show um but uh, he's been more pushed to the fringes as the seasons go on um but the rest are sort of no-name actors and uh it's very much about uh an escape room that these people um all get invited to they don't know each other and they show up um which is apparently how a lot of escape rooms work only i think from from what i've heard you know you go in groups and you meet you usually have to team up with a, a group of other strangers uh not yeah. just like a, a bunch of solitary people have you ever done up. one before sorry to interrupt I haven't. I've done two in my life. Yeah? Yeah. They're actually pretty fun. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I've done uh, a I couple. Was I was actually talking to a friend uh, today at lunch who mm. had just gone on one, and, and it sounds like Escape Room, the movie, is very much, a, like, you know, hits on what Escape Rooms are, but just elevates that to, uh, you know, this sort of Final Destination slash Saw um, type of premise where... You know, it gets really dangerous, and uh, it also has this really stupid, like, flashback thing. So, it's kind of like Saw and Final Destination with a little bit of Lost, where, like, all of the, like, each person has, like, this flashback in different rooms of, like, something that's, like, a traumatic thing that happened in their life. Um, and, and it seems like the room is almost, the rooms are almost like sentient and playing on these, these precipitous moments in their life. Um, uh, that doesn't turn out to be what's actually happening. It, it, it's, it's all manufactured as, as a real escape room is, but, um, it, it's bad in, like I said, in a way that's not fun, but like, uh, for example, like it just doesn't like all of these people get this like black box. That's like this very 
beautifully made object that's like matte black and then they can't figure out how to open it and eventually they find like a way to open it all at the same time in different parts of the city wherever the hell they are and uh they get invited to this room and but like the just like they get this weird box and everybody's obsessed with opening it like i I, the way that it's all set up i I don't want to get into all the details because we don't have enough time but it's just like from the very beginning it's just so poorly thought out like the basics of how to get people there with these weird black boxes that like you don't need that just do a regular invite it's just this weird rubik's cube type of thing that just is a waste of time um which is similar to something that happens in the prodigy that i'll get to but uh Hmm. um this is a type of movie that seems like the screenwriter's dream, right? Like something like uh, Final Destination or Saw, where it's like all about scenarios. And this is even more so where it's like scenario, another scenario, another scenario um, of just like ways to start over. It's almost like, um, you know, anthology, the way that, that they move from one room to the next and it's a whole fresh start. But um, it's not very clever like at one point they have to get a key out of a block of ice while they're outside in like sub-zero temperatures and the way that they dethaw this huge block of ice is by all putting their hands on it <laughs> like no he tries to pee on it no that, that would be no. my first move would be taking yeah. a big old piss but like you can't like you have to be like getting naked all around this and putting like you can't just like to thaw something by putting like ten hands on it. Yeah. Uh while you're outside in, in the cold. Like you get hypothermia. Um but it, it's just a lot of things like that where it should be like really clever, um, and it's not. Um and people die off slowly and it just kind of like loses interest quickly, unfortunately. Um and it doesn't have very many compelling uh, performances. Um, it's the type of thing also that I wish it was Bloomhouse. And it seems like something that Bloomhouse, maybe they even passed on it. Who knows? Yeah. But it has like this I assumed hook. it was. <laughs> yeah. It seems right in their it wheelhouse. Has, yeah, because it's the type of thing like Bloomhouse likes to do where it, like you see the name and you know exactly what it is, right? Um, and the thing that, that Bloomhouse does that this doesn't do is like, it's not cruel enough. It doesn't have like that truth or dare edge to it that like is mean at times. Like the, it, it doesn't have that, unfortunately. Um, any questions about Escape Room? <laughs> no, thanks, Sean. I, I just, yeah, it's weird to me that I, I don't know. It just seems like it should be a simple, fun scenario based horror film. Like it, things like this seems like they could just write themselves, but really it, it, it speaks to the power of Blumhouse, man, and how. Yeah, they can they can massage these things into actual like entertaining smart horror. So, kind of a bummer. What, what did you think of Prodigy? Because this is one where you said that you and Myros were going to see it, and I was like, "What the fuck was... is that?" And and Myros is dead, by the way. Uh, his the internet is out in on his farm or whatever. He didn't fucking uh, yeah. He didn't feed the cattle or that they stopped like running around in the hamster wheel. The wind turbine stopped. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um. So this is one. I, that Myros kind of pushed me to go see because he thought it was going to be a train wreck, like instead of escape room, uh, which he thought was going to be just sort of middling. Uh, I thought they ended up uh, on the same tier, uh, but the prodigy, I think <coughs> I probably had a little bit more fun with, but um, uh, it's your very typical, 
evil child thing. Um, but uh, it's it's a like it starts as like with this with this prologue about like this uh this serial killer like dies and it seems obvious that like whatever energy he had is carried over to the birth of this child something you know like i said you know very uh very stock horror thing for for uh, a movie about evil child mm. um and then we get this sort of like little ellipses of the child growing up over like you know 10 years first 10 years of his life or something like that and we get these little breaks about like how smart he is and he's going to gifted school and and he knows all this stuff and then that sort of just like all eviscerates like it, or it just like all evaporates from the actual plot and he's not actually like for the entire rest of like the 90 minutes that has nothing to do with how smart he is it was it was just like a way to show us that he grew up which is something that you can intuit by seeing an 11 year old boy like just give us the bye-bye man prologue (laughs) and you know and then we get it like the first time that the boy looks up without tilting his head up, we get that he's evil and that he's inhabited this body. Um, so anyway, it turns out to be like this reincarnation thing. And um, he, he has these parents who love him and uh, God, they're so faceless to act. Like I was joking with Myros beforehand that like, it could have been like uh, Naomi Watts a few years ago, which is, you know, the shut in thing, yeah. or it could have been Maria Bello, uh, which was the lights out thing. And, who is it? I, I don't even... I think it's it's Taylor Schilling, the lead from Orange is the New Black. The, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, yeah. <laughs> which she's not good. But, um, no. uh, and her husband is like this really underwritten character, uh, but you just never get the sense that they, that they are a couple or that you, that they really love their child. Like it's, it's just very, uh, uh, there's no chemistry to any of the performances uh, together. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just, it's just about how this child is, God, this movie has just like cleared from my mind, but it's just about him. It's just about like him doing uh, awful things and the parents like wondering whether he's bad or not. And whether the guy, the therapist reincarnation dude was right or not. And, um, and it, it goes into this uh, finale where, um, Taylor Schilling is like so basically the kid is evil um, until the serial killer inside him gets to kill his last victim and so Taylor Schilling's like alright let's go kill that victim like that's the last straw and it turns into like this bloodbath and uh, it gave me the best moment the, the best the best laugh of the the film is like Taylor Schilling like goes over to this body who just got like shot with a sh- like or just got like disemboweled by the kid like like Harakiri style basically just like slashed up and down up like left and right and Taylor Schilling goes over to this body and like puts her hands on the stomach to try and like stop the bleeding <laughs> but it's just like it's just like intestines everywhere. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's a weird instinct to, to have, but... Um, Just got to put those yeah. things back in. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a flesh wound. Yeah. Um, and then it has, like, sort of this uh, this ending that's like, is it gone or not? Kind of thing. Or, like, or it's apparent that it's not gone, but it's sort of, you know, he goes over, he transfers over to another uh, family. And the thing that about... Um, 
both uh, Escape Room and The Prodigy that I noticed, which are two films that did not do well, like that aren't like enjoying any sort of word or word of mouth parade. Um, they both have like this obligatory uh, lead into a sequel. Where, like, uh, the ending of The Prodigy, I was kind of, like, saying to Myros afterwards, like, trying to say, like, oh, you know, it's kind of brutal the the way that uh, this kid, uh, you know, is still out there in the universe of this movie. But then it's kind of watered down by the fact, well, one, it's not really done that well. But two, um, it's watered down, like, that kind of ending, you know, the carry type of ending is watered down by this, like... Like I said, like obligatory, like nod to like, well, if it does well, we can make another one. You know, um, that sort of franchising that's baked into every uh, strategy um, of studio filmmaking now is kind of kind of uh, depressing. Like Escape Room 2, I'm sure, who knows, maybe it'll happen. It could, but it's just like, you don't, the ending of Escape Room is so fucking dumb. Dude. But, Escape Room sequel, it should follow the trajectory of Escape Rooms, which is they were like really big uh, in like New York and LA and San Francisco like three, four years ago. And then they've slowly like made their way into middle America. But mm-hmm. now a bunch of them are failing because it's kind of an expensive business model because, you know, you got to fucking put together like a room with all this shit in it. So. Right. A lot of them, I've noticed, are turning into axe-throwing bars, which is, like, the new thing that started off on the West Coast and the East Coast. So, I think Escape Room 2 should be the Escape Room becomes an axe-throwing bar. And also, that sets (laughs) up really easy kills. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Um, And the the ending of Escape Room is just, like, you know, it has sort of, like, this, uh, oh, are they in the Escape Room and they don't know it kind of thing, if I remember right? And, uh... It's it's just kind of like these sequels don't have to be the same people. Like we can do this, we could do Escape Room Two and have it be different people in the same concept. Like sure, you know, that's like we don't care about these characters. But if we want to see this concept again, which we won't, because Escape Room Two, like Escape Rooms, aren't going to be popular for very long. No, but it, it does remind me of like um, when VCRs were getting big. I mean, I go to this just because my research, but. Um, you know, you had like a couple movies come out that were about like the VCR killer, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the VHS that came alive and killed people um, that, you know, they date themselves. But I, I get the instinct to to make these movies and and go see them. Um, I just I, I wish they were better. Uh, I wish Bloomhouse would just do more or I wish more movies. Somebody tweeted out this the other day, which was like, why haven't more studios just done the Bloomhouse thing? Which, I, you know, this is the perfect podcast to talk about it. It's, yeah, it's right. I mean, even if you aren't just doing horror movies, I think was the kind of their point, like just doing the same type of thing across genres. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't know. I, I think, I think, like, horror films should continue to draw from, like, really dumb, flash-in-the-pan cultural moments, like, you know the the next the next big horror slasher thing should be like the flossing killer. I'm I'm totally behind this axe bar thing. Yeah. Uh, you know it's uh, I, I think uh, poke bowls are getting really big, which is just like sushi but in a bowl. So if we could figure <laughs> out a way, like all oh, the fish kills you in the bowl, like you know that'd be yeah. great. A lot of options yeah. here. If anybody wants to hit me up for a, I'll, I'll take a screenwriting credit. Let's do this. Um. Yeah. I. I yeah. I don't know. Uh. I. 
I was kind of thinking, like, we still have another movie to talk about, but last year's Dumpuary was good. Um, I don't remember exactly. I mean, there was a Neeson movie that I that I didn't love, but I liked more than this year's. But um, we had, uh, besides Bright and all that garbage, uh, we had Den of Thieves. Mm-hmm. Which was like uh, a really, like an actually really strong movie that was genre. It wasn't High Flying Bird, which is like you kind of know it has like sort of this high flutency to it. It's just muscle and guns and robberies, you know. Yeah, it's, and, it's and, sweaty cocaine hangover, like cheap version of Heat, which is fine. Yeah, that's, that's I will take that's that like, any day. It's a solid B <laughs> that movie. That is my. Yeah, that's my ideal. And we had the Hurricane Heist, which is even more of a B movie. And I thought that was really fun. Um, now on Netflix, uh, but uh, <laughs> we don't have those this year, and that's really disappointing. That's kind of a bummer. I don't know. Yeah, it was a very satisfying dump last year. This this dump, I'm I'm feeling a little bit bloated. You know, it's like it's not it's not coming. So. That's really a shame. And I mean, and that brings us to the movie out of all of these, all the things that we talked about doing for this podcast when we were looking through the releases. I had the highest hope for Escape Room and this movie, Cold Pursuit, which seemed like a surefire hit. It's Liam Neeson killing motherfuckers. It's just taken and then you insert like the the location, just taken Mad Libs. So this is taken in the snow. And it's it's based on I think it's a is it a Scandinavian movie or a Swedish movie or what what yeah, is it it's a, yeah it's a Norwegian film called uh, In Order of Disappearance originally mm-hmm. starring uh, Stellan Skarsgård from 2014 yeah critically acclaimed just a well liked action I think it's on Netflix or something right now yeah. so you know that's that's it seemed like a surefire thing you do basically a shot for shot remake of that because it's the same director same writer and then you throw Liam Neeson in. It's a surefire hit. How could it be bad? It's fucking sucks. I don't know what happened here, but I, I haven't seen the original, so I can't speak to it. Jake, I know you have, but yes. I was expecting like a little more comedy, a little more coherence, um, a little more like just gleeful murdery stuff, and we don't really get any of that. It's it's pretty neutered and kind of weird, and instead of being a like a darkly comic movie. It just seems tonally all over the place, and yeah. holy shit, the third act is a train wreck. But can you talk just a little bit, like, what, what is the difference between Cold Pursuit and In Order of Disappearance, the original? So it, it seems like with the original, um, it's a much, it's a, it is a darker film, but like there, when it's, when it is funny, it's not trying to be um all in your face about it it's kind of just humorous because something violent and horrible has happened but you can't help but laugh and i feel like the problem with cold pursuit is that it tries to play up every laugh because i think there's a moment where every single character uh especially the villain who's just awful um is trying to be funny in this movie like that's the one note the director took from his original film because this is also the film is uh directed by the same guy who directed the original film um, so you figured he would know what to do, but it just seems like he's given the actors free reign to, to ham it up in every scene. And it's just, uh, it's just a very, it's shrill and unpleasant for all the wrong reasons. And even like in the, on the front of Liam Neeson killing people, he really just disappears for extended lengths at a time. So we can watch this dispute between the, the white villains and a, a tribe of Native Americans whose land they're in, impinging upon 
But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just uh, it's just a I I don't know why they made that change. It's just a it's just a real mess and uh, not satisfying. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think you know seeing the original a lot. This has also the thing about this movie is that it has such a good Rotten Tomato score and it had a really good trailer. So I was kind of looking forward to this movie, but um, yeah, it just seemed like. The director was content to just sort yeah. of mime the same beats that he established before, and there's nothing fun or exciting about it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think that when you write a movie, you have to make sure that all of your narrative threads are tied up neatly in the end. Like, that's, that's bullshit. But there are so many things that are just left kind of hanging in this film that I, I couldn't help but think about them. And the number one thing for me is, how much does it cost to get Laura Dern in your movie for 10 minutes because holy <laughs> shit you have Laura Dern and she's she's in the movie for yeah like literally 10 minutes and we establish her as a character and we kind of give her some some quirks to her character and then about halfway in she just stops talking and then a little bit after that she just she literally disappears and then we're just like okay whatever and there's just gets kind of left that's it yeah even remember her a, a wife character being in the original film and there's also these two new cop characters who uh, every few minutes they're they're investigating one of these murders and it gives them time to share some crude dick jokes with each other about when the last time the female cop got laid um so, so yeah they're not in the original film at all the funny thing about the original which is carried over into this film like the one thing that i like is that uh, every time a character is Dickman. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> that's right. In the original, his name is Nils uh, Dixman, and this one, his name is Nels Coxman. Get it? Ah, uh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, but every time somebody dies, I'll in, explain it to you later. In Steve. the movie, um, there's a uh, title card with like there an in memoriam of this character. But it, I don't, even that felt like it was handled better in the original film because this very funny operatic choir music would come on. But here, it's like instead of just showing the murders, it just cuts to the screen of their of their obituary. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird and muted. It is quite strange, and I thought it. I thought it just got so fucking boring. Yeah, like, oh, it did too. Oh, yeah. The more it, like it's long, first of all, yeah. but it, it it got into the to the um the heavy who's like this like cartoonish prick, and it, it just. It's first of all, it kind of felt like some of the things. It felt like the screenwriter had a little too much fun um, writing that character, uh, but I just couldn't care what was going on. Like past, like the you know, I don't know, seventy minute mark. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's bad. And then it, uh, Liam Neeson kidnaps his, the villain's kid, and then kind of takes him in for the last 30 minutes of the movie, and then that grows into a weird and grotesque relationship where the kid is, like, lying in bed with him as he's reading a story and asks, do you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? And, I, yeah, I'm just, it's it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of, the director took all the choices that worked in the first film and then made them wrong in this movie. That's all I can really equate it to. Yeah. And it's, and it's I had hope for it, but it just turns into a low-grade Liam Neeson actioner, which is what I was hoping it would not turn into. It's also weirdly, like, it, it does some racial stuff that's, <laughs> I mean, Liam Neeson, come on. Uh, Here's a guy who's just like, oh, and I take movie roles because all I want to do is walk the streets and find a black bastard to smack in the face, or whatever he said. But 
I, I'm ad libbing, but yeah, that's a, that's the gist of it. But anyway, this has some like the the Native American stuff. I don't even understand. Like, there's this whole scene where they're going through this bougie resort, and then they're like looking at all this like made in China, like oh faux Native like headdresses and shit like that, and they're like shaking their heads, like man, fuck this or whatever. It's like okay, I get that. But then the next scene is them like on a ski slope at this same resort and they're all just like like hooping and hawing and and whooping into the sky while like the sun beats down on them and it's just like what what is this? I don't understand it. What is the point of any of this? And again, that's something that doesn't really go anywhere or do anything or or change your perception of this gang and it's the whole thing is just fucking stupid. It's boring, it's dumb, it's tone deaf, it's it's everything I don't like. It kind of <laughs> felt like a uh, uh, Martin McDonough like um, prodigies like film or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's the handling of race is, is uh, poor, if you ask me. And just like sort of the black humor and this like mountain town. I don't know something about it. The music, I don't know, uh, but uh, yeah, huh. not very good. Some people really kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, like I said, it got, I don't know, got if we're good reviews this. as far as the Dumpuary movie goes. I think it's mm-hmm. even certified fresh. Certified well, I mean, fresh. if there's one thing that people can take away from this podcast, it's anyone who disagrees with us is bad and dumb and extremely wrong. So <laughs> don't ever yeah. forget that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I was going to ask, like, what do we want to see Liam Neeson in next? But like, who cares? Uh, I'm trying to think like, like Lego the- movie too. The the Liam Neeson like racism tour. Which minority group hasn't he beat up yet? <laughs> I've been thinking about this one. I was thinking maybe like um, Inuit. Yeah, I guess he could go there. Oh, that's or... another thing. There's this like just a bunch of awful Eskimo jokes in Cold Pursuit. Like they oh, yeah. freely oh. just say Eskimo and Indian all over the place. Yeah. Huh. I I think he should go after like like native australian people you know i i think like no one really goes that route right so you you know pair them up like aboriginal yeah aboriginal you know kind of like walk about but murder that's what kill I'm about that's the kill movie kill about kill about see it we writes just wrote itself. a movie ah, see that's easy so an aboriginal takes liam neeson's uh we'll go son instead of daughter and then he said <laughs> i better walk around in the in the the <laughs> desert until I find the black bastard who took my son, and then he just he just goes Jesus off. Christ. That's what he does. They leave him, yeah, they leave him stranded, and we'll say they leave him stranded and barefoot in the desert because we're mind, we might as well just copy every movie we can. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah kill about. Perfect. Kill about. Thank you. Uh, a check. I hope is that in the mail for us? Presumably, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, it's well, Sunday, so we don't know. Oh yeah, that's okay. We accept PayPal, so <laughs> yeah, you can send that one to a studio. We'll take that. Anyways, guys, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps up Dumpuary. Hopefully, Liam Neeson's agent is listening and taking good notes. Uh, wh- what are we putting over this week? Uh, Sean, what are you putting over? Do we want to, before we do that, do we want to say anything on Glass? I think Adam and I are the only no. people who oh, saw it. Oh, you saw it. I didn't know that you saw it. I thought, because oh, yeah. Myros literally it. got kicked off of the internet forever uh, for looking at weird pornography, so he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he said he was doing research on abducted in plain sight, but we know what he was really doing, so whatever. Anyways, yeah, Jake, real quick, tell me about Glass, because I think Myros was just like, hey, forget the GL in this movie title. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Ah, yeah! Um, 
Yeah, it, Glass is strange <laughs> uh, because it feels it's M Night Shyamalan has proclaimed it to be a, a film twenty years in the making since he made Unbreakable in two thousand, and the thing that he made Split two or three years ago, and the final twist in Split is that it takes place in the Unbreakable universe. And I think it's just M. Night Shyamalan feeling like he's left out of all these superhero movies, so he made his own uh, cinematic universe. But I don't know what people were expecting with this movie. Likely a a smash him down with uh, Bruce Willis versus James McAvoy, but it is not that movie at all. It's 80% of the movie is all of these characters sitting in a mental institution as Sarah Paulson talks to them about their uh, quote-unquote powers and how they might just be bursts of adrenaline or something else entirely. And it, it's really just more about these characters questioning their lives and their place in the world where superhero comics exist, but superheroes don't exist, so they're not quite sure if they are heroes. But it's really just, like, dull and flat, and I, I it feels weirdly out of out of step with how superhero the superhero subgenre is currently um yeah i don't i don't really have much to say about it uh if you're curious i did write a review you can go to filminquiry.com and check that out but, oh uh, yeah good yeah. plug good plug other than, yeah other than that it's just it's just a really disappointing movie and then there's like three twist endings to it because it's also a Shyamalan movie um, so I'm, I'm not really sure what his true intentions were with making this movie. If, if there's one guy who doesn't get a cinematic universe, it's definitely M. Night Shyamalan. Like he's, he's on that list. And also yeah. I, I want to say this cause this is important. There's been some talk on the internet, this, this reassessment of M. Night Shyamalan's career and how he's been, we, we've done him dirty over the years and actually he is quite good. This is a nope. lie. And earlier, earlier in the show, you may have noticed that I, I jokingly said that anyone who disagrees with us is bad and wrong, uh, and that, that was, in fact, a joke. We do, we do some, some humor content on this show, but I will say, I'm being dead, dead serious when I say, M. Night Shyamalan does not need a fucking reassessment. He makes fucking trash, he's a narcissistic piece of shit, and I don't give a fuck about what he does, and the fact that studios still give him money to fucking just take a shit in his own hands and rub it rub himself down with it while he looks in a mirror like that's that's every fucking movie he makes yeah we we a few of us uh jake excluded uh watched rewatched the happening um and uh like less than a month ago and which is which is sort of like the subject uh, is it's sort of like the starting point for a lot of uh critical reevaluation of M Night Shyamalan and man, I've seen that. I think that's the third time I've seen that movie, and it fucking sucks every time. It's so bad. It is amazing how little chemistry Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg have. Like it's just and how little oh. like point of view or like the mechanics of the filmmaking are bad. Like I don't. It, it's. I mean, it's better than Bird Box is about what I can say. Yeah, yeah. it's fair. weird that. The happening as are they saying all of his films since the happening? Because from what I recall, he's made The Last Airbender and After Earth After and Earth. Between Glass and the Happening, and those nah, movies yeah. are total dog shit. Yeah, you know what else he did? He made so movies Lady in the Water. Yeah, he made movies <laughs> before yeah. The Happening too that sucked balls. But yeah. you, you can give him the Sixth Sense. You can give him. Uh, unbreakable unbreakable I, I mean some people will fucking stand for his stupid ass alien movie signs, signs. 
Uh, and then there's weird people that are like, well, the village is mind. good until the twist, but fuck me. Come on. <laughs> the thing about the village is that it has uh, Roger Deakins and doing like really, really good work. But um, as I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be like, that's a good fucking movie. Uh, uh, whatever. I don't care if you like it, but this, yeah, it's a weird thing to be like, he's a genius and we need to finally appreciate the genius of, like, have you watched The Visit? No, yeah, that's that's just it, is he's not a fucking genius. He just keeps telling you that he is one and you decided to <laughs> listen. The number one rule of, like, identifying a genius is the guy who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking brilliant. That guy's, he's not smart. That's not a smart guy. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> This is very simple. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, fuck him. He's like, let me put my Mensa subscription on my coffee table right before the cocktail party. Uh, <laughs> no, he's, yeah, he's the guy that, like, a woman goes on a first date with, and he's just like, just so you know, I have an IQ of 253, and uh, it's, uh, you just need to know that. I wanted to let you know that. Like, or fucking puts his IQ score in his Tinder profile. Right. Uh, yeah. Seven and a half uh, I, inches, I a, soft, and a 220 IQ. Haha, <laughs> you're welcome. I I haven't seen Glass. I probably will at some point, yeah. but preferably not when I have to pay for it. Don't see but it in I IMAX saw, like Adam did. <laughs> I, I, we saw Split together, Maris and I, and we were both underwhelmed, but it was kind of like, oh, whatever. Um, yeah, that was but, uh, yeah. two years ago, that was Dumpy Worries Pod. Yeah, yeah. Go back and listen I, you know what, though? I will be fine with him working with Bloomhouse because he's giving them money. He will make them money, and I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's wrap it up for real this time. R.I.P. Adam Myros, uh, murdered by the escape room, clearly. By the prodigy, yeah. By the prodigy in the escape room, um, and then arrested for uh, looking at, at illicit pornography. Sean, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I wa- I finally watched uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's uh, World on a Wire, uh, which is a uh, three and a half hour film he made in like 73 or 74. Um, it's out on Criterion and Second Sight uh, Blu-rays and it's a beautifully weird sci-fi movie that uh, sort of um, pre- dates the matrix uh has some of the similar ideas and images but um is this like low budget thing that has this immaculately uh this immaculate set design with all these cool objects and colors and reflections that he plays with and and it has this sort of stagey distant feeling of something like the conformist um and then it has sort of like this weird weird ethereal feeling of something like a Tarkovsky movie. Um, it, it's just this, it, it's such an oddity uh, that I watched over like three, three days, um, like watching like 30, 45 minutes at a time. And, and it's something that uh, I really got into that world. Like, don't let the time uh, put you off. So it's 200 minute movies, basically like two episodes. Um, and you could watch them in, in a couple of sittings easily, but um, yeah, it, it's just a really nice, weird anxiety. Uh, it's it's about like a conspiracy and this character trying to find out where he fits in this world and if they're coming after him or it, stuff like that. But um, yeah, uh, world on a wire. It's it's beautiful and uh, unlike much that I've seen, even though it reminds me of a lot of things. 
Cool. All right. Jake, what are you putting over this week? Um, so I've seen a few good movies this year that are retro discoveries to me, but I'm going to put over uh, content warning, Sean, anime. Um, ah! I'm going to uh, put over a January Netflix dumpuary release from 2018. Uh, it's an anime show called Devilman Crybaby. Uh, it's about a high school student who gets these powers to basically turn into a demonic monster, which he uses to hunt down and kill other demonic monsters. Uh, I don't really want to say much more because there's a lot of uh, great things in it. Other than that, it turns into this weirdly bizarre, fantastic, apocalyptic uh, nightmare. Uh, I mean, the first episode kind of starts at 11 and then it just builds from there. And pretty much anyone you meet and love uh, is is just killed in the most horribly violent way. And it's 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 hyper violent. It's hyper sexual, but it's also just it like it's just ten beautifully animated episodes. If anyone out there is familiar with the anime film Mind Game, it's uh, directed by the same guy who did that. So I, I highly recommend uh, Devilman Crybaby and Mind Game if you've never seen it. Hell yeah, hot anime content. See, this is this is what happens. We kill off Adam Myros. We can increase our anime output by twenty percent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're next, Sean. <laughs> this is gonna be the weeb the weeb uh, cast. I, to, I, I just got an invite to a escape room. Um <laughs> Gee, I wonder what that could be about. <laughs> Alright, well this week I am putting over uh some some real uh I, I'm following in your footsteps, Sean. I'm I'm doing the foo foo art house cinema, baby, because <laughs> on the streaming service Mubi, which is spelled M-U-B-I if you're not really familiar. And it's super interesting because unlike Netflix, where shit just goes on, it might be there for a year, it might be there for a month, you never know. Everything on Mubi, they have a, a, a set number of films, and those films stay there for like 30 days, and then they reset, and everything is different after 30 days. And right now, on Mubi, you can stream Diary of a County Priest. And why is that important? Well, one, it's a fucking great movie, and you haven't seen it yet, have you? No, you haven't, because it's been out of print for, what, like four years? Because you're a little piss baby. Because you're a little piss baby, and you had the Criterion DVD yeah. from, like, fucking ten years ago, and you pissed in it because you're a piss baby. So go on the internet, stream that shit. It's great. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and if you're a fan of First Reformed, uh, this is sort of one of the genesis points for that film. Oh, yeah. Double feature um, of the cinch, baby. Yeah, it's, it's really fucking good. I've only seen it once, and it was, like, a decade ago, and I can still remember it quite vividly very good all right well thank you gentlemen uh good thing adam myros doesn't have any social media presence because he can't tell us where we can find him but sean you can tell us where we can find you where are you at on the internet my good friend uh you can find me on twitter at mr glennis you can also follow me on letterbox if you want uh, just type in sean glennis uh, and I'm sure you can find me. That's that's a good one. I never thought about plugging my letterbox so people can see my like one line non sequitur reviews of yeah, everything. Yeah, you got I some good stuff on there. I, I recommend following Steve oh. after you follow me. Of course. Are you, are you putting over my letterbox account? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Jake. Where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, you can actually find me. I'll also plug uh, letterbox and Twitter. I'm at uh, Jake Tropila, T R O P I L A, uh, on Letterbox. I'm uh, ranking all of the 2019 releases as I see them, and then I'm also keeping track of all the new non-2019 films that I've seen this year. Um, so, uh, good stuff in one of those lists so far. <laughs> you know the year's bad when the best movie you've seen is a Firefest documentary. 
<laughs> that's yeah, that's a little rough, buddy. But I, I do, gotta, need, I do need to watch, watch High Flying Bird. Yes, that is yeah, on my yeah. list. Yeah, you should. It's a nice, quick, and it's ninety uh, minutes too, movie. so I should get to it sooner yeah. than later. We should. We, that's a yeah. good selling point as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I got to watch something good for twenty nineteen, man. I've been. I did the Dumpuary stuff, and then I did some shit for caustic content which we got a new episode of that dropping soon and it's oh god i've watched nothing but diarrhea for like a month and it's killing me at least i'm doing some oscar well, catch-up i finally watched the favorite which is fantastic i watched first reform which is yeah. fucking amazing like yeah. tw- 2018 still paying dividends thankfully but yeah anyways we, we, have, well, uh, we should we should tell people that uh for a little uh preview in case they want i think we're we're probably going to cover happy death day to you and also probably the if you have hulu um there is like an anthology horror uh thing going on there and definitely bloomhouse has i don't think it's all bloomhouse but they did one of them um so we're probably going to cover some of that stuff dude we already got a name for the podcast right because we can uh we called like didn't we call it like the blumhouse pod or something the last time so we'll just call this like blumhouse to you and that's perfect it's fine there you go sure perfect, Whatever. perfect yeah. sequel it's not gonna be give me the pod daddy give me the pod daddy it's <laughs> what i need all right uh, yeah, you can find me on the internet on Twitter at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. You can find me on Letterbox where I make more dick jokes and one line reviews of everything I watch, and I watch a lot of dumb shit. So uh, if, if you like that hot content, if you need to fucking tap into that, get on my level. <laughs> Other than that, hey, you can if you've got questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, optimismvaccine@gmail.com is a place to send those. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback for future shows, and don't say, oh, oh more Myros, because his internet broke. He lives on a farm. What do you expect? Come on. Lower your expectations. Optimism Vaccine. That's that's our motto. You could also find us on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine, and uh, yeah, make sure if you are listening to this podcast right now, you have on your phone a little a little like podcast app, and when you open this podcast, your little podcast app, there is a link that you can click, and that will take you to our iTunes page. Click that shit right now. Are you, you're still listening. You're going to click it right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through this process. You just clicked it. Now the iTunes page is loaded up. You're going to go to rate and review. You're going to click that shit. You're going to click five stars, and you're going to give us a, a written review. And the best part is it's like the five stars matter, but, and, and the written part matters, but it doesn't matter what you write. You can write anything you want. You can say, uh, I hate Sean. You can say, I love Jake. You can say... <laughs> uh, what if what if you guys did a whole episode where you hollowed out Myros's body like a tom-tom and fucking slept inside of him during a blizzard? <laughs> These are all things that we can do and, and that you can do. So do that right now. Thank you so much. And with that, Jake, last word is yours. I am the rules. 